And so uh, today, our Rebuild, our Rebuild series, uh, let me just begin with an image in your mind of, a, of an obstacle. Think of like an obstacle in an obstacle course. An obstacle is something you got to get over, you got to get around, or you got to get through or under. And anybody who finds himself in the rebuilding process, particularly a long rebuilding process, <clears throat> you're going to hit some obstacles. I mean, it's a person that longs to do international ministry. You know, to go to another country and serve in a certain aspect, they may immediately hit the obstacle of raising financial support. This is the obstacle of someone who longs to be in a home, and they hit the obstacle of limited inventory. This is the obstacle of someone who longs for a long-term relationship, and they hit the obstacle of limited inventory. Jeff, I just wish there were more and better options out there, but I really would like to find someone. <laughs> this, uh, this is the couple that longs for a child, and they hit the obstacle of infertility. This is the marriage. One of the people in the marriage longs to have a more dynamic, vital relationship, and the person they're married to, just not so eager. This is an obstacle. Listen, whenever... Whenever you go about a rebuild, we just kind of know, probably going to hit an obstacle. But, but there's a difference between an obstacle and an obstacle course. Because when you talk about an obstacle course, what we're talking about is obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And that's different. It will wear you out. It can be discouraging. It can be disheartening, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. It can be deeply discouraging and deeply disheartening. And it's exactly where we find our epic leader today in the epic story. Guy's name is Nehemiah. He's a man on a mission. And the mission that he is on is to lead uh, the people of Israel in rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And so uh, this, is, this is a picture of part of the wall of Jerusalem today. See, see, there had been a war, 587 B.C., Babylonian army swoops in, destroys the city of Jerusalem, punches holes in the protective wall in order to get their troops in, burns the city to the ground. That had happened generations before. And now Nehemiah is rallying the people to rebuild the walls of the city. My friends, this isn't just a construction project. Uh, to have a walled city, a fortified city, this meant safety, this meant security, this meant dignity, this meant honor. In rebuilding the city walls, Nehemiah is attempting to lead the people in resurrecting their security, their safety, and their dignity in a way that would reflect on their God, the God of Israel. And the, the, the dude has been just had he moved through challenge after challenge after challenge. There are some area, I would call them governors, think more kind of like warlords, that they will do, you guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, a guy by the name of Geshem, they are doing everything they possibly can to bring this project to an end, to stop it. And Nehemiah and the people, they have just courageously just kind of kept pushing through. You need to know something. They're going to get this thing built today because it's the last sermon in the series. we got to get it done. 
today it's going to happen, but not without a final obstacle course. Now, uh, it's very possible that some of you have already identified with this obstacle course imagery. Because over the course of the last year, you haven't been wrestling with just a thing, but it's felt kind of like one thing after another in a critical area of your life. Man, I just think it is so helpful to turn to a man of God, a hero like Nehemiah, and see how he ran his course and pushed through obstacle after obstacle after obstacle with trust and with hope. I hope that this meets you today as we see the completion of the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, three obstacles that we will identify in Nehemiah chapter 5 and Nehemiah chapter 6. The, the obstacle number one is just the obstacle of focus. The obstacle of focus. Now, I need you to hear something. It's not the sound of a construction project. I need you to hear in Jerusalem a growing choir of complaint. It's called an outcry. Now, he's not just complaining about blistered hands from the building project. It's not complaining about sore backs. It is a legitimate complaint. The complaint that surfaces at the beginning of chapter 5 is a complaint of many of the workers that they are finding it almost impossible to simultaneously devote themselves to rebuilding the wall and also feed their children. If you're a farmer and you're taking months off to work on the wall, guess what you're not doing? You're not farming. Building the wall was not income generating. People that were already on the edge financially who are pouring themselves into this project, they're reaching a point where their kids haven't eaten in a couple days. I want you to hear that complaint. The construction project has come to a screeching halt. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 2. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous and in order to eat and stay alive, we must buy grain. Buy grain so that we can mill it and make bread. We don't have bread for our kids. We got big families. Our sons and daughters are numerous. We got big families, and we can't feed them. And you go, well, why weren't there people that like step forward and who had financial margin to loan them money? Oh, yes, that happened with terms. You can't feed your kids? Hey, uh, I'll give you a loan. I will give you a loan, but I need you to sign here and sign here and sign here. I want interest. I want you to pay me back either in money or in grain or in wine or in olive oil, the interest in addition to what you originally borrowed. And I want your vineyard as collateral. I want your field as collateral. That is, I assume ownership of your vineyard until you pay this back. Well, wait a second. If I'm paying you back in wine and you've got control of my vineyard, how do I do that? That's not my problem. Saying that was actually happening? Absolutely. Verse 3. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Saying it can't get any worse than that. Oh, yes, it can. This is going to sound really strange in our day, very common practice in their day. If you owed a financial debt and couldn't pay it back, and you couldn't sell assets to pay it back, they could come and take your kids. Your kids who were old enough to be able to work. A 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, they would come and they would take your kid. And in sense, 
enslave your child until that debt was repaid. <laughs> no, 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 no. These people in Jerusalem wouldn't do that to each other. That's exactly what we're doing. The outcry continues. Although, verse 5, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Do we have a problem here? Listen, I was willing to throw myself on this construction project. I'm not willing to have my kids starve. I'm not willing to lose my ancestral property. And I'm not ready to have my kids hauled away. We're done. We're done. We're done. What you don't hear right now is the sound of the wall being built. It has come to a screeching halt. And all of that teamwork, all that camaraderie, all that one for all and all for one, it is gone. It is evaporated. We don't have to guess how Nehemiah feels about this situation. He tells us how he feels. Verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was, I was very angry. He's just, you got to be kidding me. Very angry. He calls a meeting. He, gives a, he calls together a large meeting, and the meeting was comprised both of those who had had to borrow money, but also those who had loaned the money on outrageous terms and were confiscating property and having kids hauled off. They're all together at this meeting. It's a kind of a long speech, but it can be summarized in three words. Nehemiah looks at the people who were taking unfair advantage of the situation, and the three words are these, give it back. Give the stuff back. Give it back now. Uh, verse 11. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also, also the interest you're charging them. <laughs> do you see the project we're trying to do together, together here? This is incredibly bad timing for you guys to be taking advantage of this. Give it back. And amazingly, verse 12, we will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more of them. We will do as you say. And Nehemiah says, okay, stop. Nobody go anywhere. And he calls some priests in and says, you guys who just said you give it back, swear to God that you'll do what you said. And they do. And the people said, amen. Now I want you to hear a sound. It is the sound of the construction project being resumed. I look at this and go, why, 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 why do they do that? Uh, why, why the exorbitant interest? Why, why the confiscation of property? Why taking, you know, kids to, you know, work on your estate, and not theirs, little farm? Uh, in my sense, is this is a once in a lifetime financial opportunity? <laughs> The, the financial climate in the city was such that if someone had a view to amassing real estate, this was the absolute perfect time to do it. It's like, hey, I didn't make them sign it. Nobody held a gun to their head. I didn't make them sign the contract. I didn't make them agree to these terms. Here, I think it happened because they forgot why they were there. They lost their focus. The focus of rebuilding the wall. Meanwhile, Nehemiah tells you what he and his lieutenants did. 
he contrasts later on in the chapter, uh, turn the page over like uh, verse, verse 16. He goes, said instead, in contrast to that, he says, I devoted myself to what? I devoted myself to the work on the wall. Just you? No, no, no. His guys too, his main guys. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. It's just that's not why we were there. Nehemiah, while you were governor of Jerusalem, how much land did you acquire? He says, not an acre. I I wasn't there on a land. I was there to get the wall built. And what you have with Nehemiah is sustained focus. And what you have with these other guys who were just taking advantage of a financial opportunity only, it's kind of like loss of focus on what the project was. You have loss of focus, and then you have sustained focus. Any rebuild that lasts any length of time will require sustained focus. And by that I mean focus over time. The opposite of sustained focus is for a while. For a while. Uh, As in, (laughs) you know, I exercised for a while. (laughs) That date night thing, yeah, every Friday night we were trying to do date night, and we did that for a while. We got our spending under control for a while. That, that giving thing where you kind of carve out part of your income and kind of in a systematic way bless your church and some people in your life, yeah, we did that for a while. Getting up a little bit early to read some scripture from my Bible and write out a prayer to God just before I blast into my day. Yeah, I did that for a while. Yeah, we went to that church for a while. The enemy of sustained focus is these fits and starts, these for a while things. The opposite of for a while is sustained focus. And when you hear a couple say, We paid off $67,000 in student loans, and those were just hers. In eight years, you understand something, there was sustained focus over time. When you kind of offhandedly hear some dude talking about his marriage, and he goes, man, I cannot believe how much work it takes just to stay connected. And kids, they haven't made our job any easier. You're exhausted from work, and then you try to get the kids down, and there's like no energy left over, nothing left over for each other. We've had to really work to stay connected. But if they've done it, what they're talking about here is sustained focus over time. Look, I I know a whole bunch of you are not married, and a bunch of you are. But just for those of you in a marriage, there is a gravitational pull away from you. You just drift over time. And for a marriage to thrive, it takes incredible focus over time. I've said before, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. Focus over time. I don't want to overstate this. I, would, I believe to the core of my being that there is no substitute for sustained focus. With your physical health, with your financial health, and with your spiritual health. I just don't think there's a substitute for getting focused 
and staying focused. This is the obstacle course that Nehemiah is in. It, the first obstacle is the obstacle of focus. And you have here a picture of Nehemiah going, I remembered why I was there. I remembered why I was there. And there's some people around them, I just think, forgot why they were there. The obstacle of focus. The second obstacle is very similar to the first one. The second obstacle is the obstacle of distraction. The obstacle of distraction. Now, we got to understand, they are so close to being done. In fact, the wall is all at its, the height that it needs to be at. They just haven't plugged the gates with doors. And so just, just a couple images uh, here. Uh, I was uh, outside one of the walls of Jerusalem a handful of years back. This picture of myself, Mike, and a camera guy, uh, uh, camera guy Mike, and we're in front of something called the Southern Steps. These are steps that went up to one of the walls in Jerusalem. Now, that, that upper section was newer, right, built a few hundred years ago. The lower section, though, Jesus would have walked up some of those steps and walked into the temple area from that direction, like 2,000 years old. Now, on that particular filming trip, we stayed in a hotel that was just outside a gate that's called the Damascus Gate. Now, comparatively speaking, the Damascus Gate, it's like brand new. That was like built in the 1500s. Uh, it's only 500 years old. But get the image here of, of a gate, a gate with doors that you would close at night or when there were bands of raiders to protect people on the inside. The wall that Nehemiah has built is at its full height. There are no, there are no doors in the gates yet. City walls with no gates would be like moving into a sketchy neighborhood that has incredibly high crime rates and not having a front door or a door on your garage that you have stuff in. It's like there's, there's no safety, there's no security. And these guys, the, like the area warlords, the powers, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, they're going to do everything they can to get Nehemiah distracted before he gets the doors up to those gates. They are still last-ditch efforts to try to get this derailed. And so they give him an invitation. Wonderful. It is so wonderful to get invited to things. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 6, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Uh, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Hey, we need to have a meeting. We need to invite you to a meeting. Now, as I understand it, the plain of Ono was like uh, 30 miles like north of Jerusalem. And it was like on the Judah... Uh, Samaritan border. If Nehemiah accepts this meeting, he's going to be leaving the safety and security of the city of Jerusalem and probably much of his security detail. I think if he accepts the interruption, the distraction of this meeting, I think he might get killed on his way there. But certainly... The work is going to slow down or even come to a standstill while he's away. And so please meet with us on the plain of Ono. And of course, Nehemiah said, oh, no, you don't. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. All right. Check this out. He says, but they were, I thought it was a little funny. Uh, but they were, or it's funny that I thought it was funny. Uh, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I have, while I leave it and go down to you? I mean, I got, excuse me, but I am focused on this incredible project. Why should I be distracted by a meeting with you? I'm going to leave. The work will slow down or stop. Sorry, can't make it. And they send the invitation a second time. 
and a third time. And a fourth time. They are relentless. And each time, I'm carrying on a great work. Why should the work stop? Well, I come down to you. And then they change tactics. If they can't get him distracted by an invitation, they can get him distracted by a threat. It's scare tactics. This time, they send an open letter. One that doesn't have a seal on it, proving it has been closed. An open letter, meaning a bunch of people could have read it on the way. And the letter said this, Nehemiah, Nehemiah there are rumors there are rumors that are spreading, and we think they're true, that the reason you've rebuilt the walls is so that you can rebel against the Persian government. And you are planning on making yourself the king of Israel in revolt against the king of the Persians. And you've even set up some different prophets to declare, Nehemiah is the God-appointed king of the Jews. Now, we need to have a conversation. You need to get here now, or word is going to get back to Artaxerxes. Now, this is a threat. I love Nehemiah's response for its brevity. I sent them this reply. Nothing what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. <laughs> you're dreaming and you're wrong. Now, they were trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. They were just trying to scare us. They're trying to distract us with this threat saying their hands will grow too weak for the work and we will never get this done. And Nehemiah shoots up this prayer and the prayer he shoots up might be your prayer today. If you're exhausted and don't know how to pray, this might be the prayer that you need. I think it's four words, now strengthen my hands. God, just, man, now strengthen my hands. Can you whisper it with me? Ready? Now strengthen my And some of you need that this afternoon. You are just beyond tired. And you still have to get up. You still have to bring your best self, whatever's left of the people around you. And something in you goes, I can't. There's nothing there. Now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. This is the obstacle course, the obstacle of distraction. Woman's uh, on a walk with her three-year-old daughter, just about to turn four. Be beautiful fall day. Walking through a nice little neighborhood. And her daughter points to a building with interesting architecture and says, Mom, what's that? And mom goes, that's a church. And her daughter goes, what's a church? And her mom goes, thank God your grandma didn't hear you ask that question. So I go, what happened? Uh, you were a believer and now you're an unbeliever? You kind of deconverted? Yeah, no, nothing like that. You, you had some huge objection that you couldn't get through. You couldn't reconcile science and faith or the problem of pain in this world. No, I just, we just got distracted. By what? You got distracted by work and, and by uh, renovations and by vacations and by dining out and by projects. We just got distracted, sometimes by good stuff. And there is spiritual drift that comes because of a distracted heart. Jesus warned us that this would happen. Uh, image here of uh, just a field with uh, corn growing in it. 
Jesus told the parable, the story about the field. A farmer goes in the field, just starts to throw grain or seed on the, on the ground, and it lands on all kinds of different types of soil. It lands on like the, the, the pathway, and it doesn't even get inside the ground. The birds come and eat it. And then some lands on rocky soil, and it grows, but there's like no root system, and the sun bakes it, and it's like gone. But soil number three is the weedy soil. Where this plant starts to grow and starts to mature, but weeds are competing for the nutrients of the soil. And those plants ended up bearing no fruit because the growth got choked out by the weeds. Okay, later Jesus is like in a room and his disciples are going like, what are you talking about? And Jesus breaks down the story for them. And he said, in Jesus' story, this is what he said some of the weeds were. But... He said three things, the worries of life, the deceptiveness of wealth, desire for other things. None of those were a colossal faith quake, just the weeds that distracted from positive growth. Worry about tomorrow chokes out growth today. He didn't say wealth. He said the deceptiveness of wealth, thinking it'll do something for me that it can't and never will. The deceptiveness of wealth and desire for other things. What things? Just other stuff. It wasn't that I didn't want Jesus. It's just that I wanted a bunch of other stuff more. Distraction, the obstacle of distraction. And before we move on to the third distraction, I just got to ask you, what right now is competing for the soil of your heart and what could be choking out a spiritually fruitful life? I, the three things Jesus pointed to here were just uh, worry, wealth, and our wants, the stuff we desire. If you were to say, Jeff, I am at most risk right here, what would that be? Often, we fall away over time, not because of a colossal faith quake, we just got distracted. Our Lord told us that this could happen. Uh, Nehemiah, not coming to the meeting, not coming to the meeting, not coming to the meeting. I don't care if you threaten me. I got to stay here, got to stay on the job, got to stay on the work. Nehemiah pushes through the obstacle of distraction. The obstacle number three, the third obstacle, kind of hits me harder than the others. Obstacle number three is going to hit us at a kind of a different space, and it's just called it the obstacle of trust. Nehemiah makes a house call. There's a guy by the name of Shemaiah, and it says uh, he was, Nehemiah says, he was shut in. So I went to visit him. I don't know whether the guy was sick or something like that, but it seems here like Nehemiah is visiting a friend. And this guy, Shemaiah, he had this reputation of delivering God messages. Like, God told me to tell you. It's called being a prophet, speaking on behalf of God. And while Nehemiah is there, like with the guy, it's like the guy breaks into a prophecy or a God message to give Nehemiah direction. He said, Shemaiah said, he said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. Kind of panicky. 
kind of like, let's go together, let's run, let's go inside the temple and shut the doors. And if you're going, now, Jeff, wait a second. As I recall, only like priests were allowed in the temple, not lay people, correct? Correct. So you're saying Nehemiah didn't belong inside the temple, correct. Shemaiah is saying, God told me to tell you, let's go, let's go inside the temple with the presence of God. Men are coming to kill you tonight. They're coming to kill you. And Nehemiah is like going like, what? Like what? He said, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And then it hits him. How much did they pay you? The dude's been paid off. I think in this moment, I think Nehemiah is exhausted from the project. I think he's running on fumes. Emotionally, you're in that space where you could make decisions that you later regret. And there's this moment where he just goes, going, man, I trusted you. I realized God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Nehemiah is like, I was that close from losing my reputation. I was like this close from losing my integrity. And those doors never would have made it into those empty gates. This is, a, this is a different kind of pain. This is a man I trusted you pain. I trusted you. For those of you who have felt in some moment abandonment, betrayal, or desertion, I think you'll get this. I trusted you. Again, I, I think it's kind of critical to turn to our, our Jesus. See, when, when Jesus was here, he, God in human form, experienced the full range of human emotions. Such as collecting around himself a group of 12 trusted friends. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, Judas. And Jesus, last week, he would disappear at night. The religious leaders couldn't find him. They need an insider. They need a mole. Judas approaches them. I know where you can find him, and I'll take you there. Let's talk amount. 30 pieces of silver, done. Jesus was betrayed. What difference does this make? If you're ever in one of these moments, when it's, I trusted her, I trusted him, I trusted them, and something in your heart looks upward and goes, do you have any idea what this feels like? Our Lord would respond, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> The fact that Jesus embraced the whole human experience with all its pain, with all its fractured friendships, and with all of its problems, 
this should make you want to love Jesus more and it should make you want to trust him more and it should make you want to go to him more in your hour of need because he had his hour of need. All I'm saying here is he knows. He knows. Gets through the obstacle. I say the obstacle of trust. It's the obstacle of broken trust. I think this must have been a low point for Nehemiah where he felt very much alone the obstacle of focus, the obstacle of distraction, the obstacle of trust. And then suddenly you come to chapter 6, verse 15, and you read this, and it's like, un, uh, it's just like so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Boom. <laughs> no, no, no. I want fireworks. And so the wall was completed. We got the doors up. The wall was completed in the 25th day of Elul. They could like circle the date that the project was done. Now, the Hebrew calendar is different than our calendar, and the months are different from year to year, but it's kind of August, September is the month of Elul. Next year, the date for that, what, the 25th of Elul, next year it happens to be 28th of September. 2024, 28th of September. That'd be like, that's when the project, that's when the project got done. Circle the date. Some of you will be in the rebuilding project for a long time. He wrapped up in 52 days your project. You might be rebuilding for the next three years. I hope for you that there is a time when you're able to circle the date. You're able to circle the date of your 20th wedding anniversary and your friends didn't think you would make it to year 10. You didn't think you would make it to year 10. Able to circle the date. You were able to circle the date that you renewed your vows and you meant it. You circled the date. I trust for many of you there was a date out there where after an incredible amount of sustained focus, you're able to circle the date of paying off your last credit card. A mountain of credit card debt gone and you will be able to circle the date. I trust that there will come a day when many of you would be able to circle the date when the adoption is finalized. You'll be able to circle the date. Some of you will be able to circle the date of your daughter's baptism. In her late 20s and in high school, she was a handful. And it didn't stop when she went off to college. You can circle the date. For many of you, you might want to circle the date of the day that a parent returned to church after not being in church forever. Because God is doing something in them. And you're able to circle the date. I trust that so many of you currently in a rebuild will reach a day when you're able to circle the date. And with that in mind, my plea for you is just two words. The two words are (laughs) keep building. Keep building through the obstacle course. Keep building through the setbacks. Keep building through the challenges. Keep building through the obstacles. Keep building. Keep building. Keep building. I trust that for many of you, there's a date to circle.
on the other side. Let me ask you to stand. I get to pray for us here and for those of you at our other campuses as well. I'm so grateful for the time that you devoted to this powerful message and series on Rebuild. And so, gracious God, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they move into their week. Please give us the strength that we need, the endurance that we need, the hope that we need to continue seeking you and loving others. Please continue to transform us into the people you created us to be. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. We'll see you next week. Like I saw